Reading, short and deep. Hi, I'm Jesse, and I'm Eric. And today we're reading short and deep. That old computer by C.S. Forrester. This is first published in Argosy, July 1957, under another title, uh, which was The Last Answer. Uh, We're reading it out of Ellery Queen's Mystery Magazine, August 1958. Um, Forrester uh, might be a familiar name to a lot of people. Uh, He was to me. Um, I've seen movies based on his novels, um, including uh, one recently uh, produced by Tom Hanks called The Good Shepherd. I think you and I may have talked about that, uh, not on the podcast. Um, And that book and that novel, or that book and that movie, uh, like most of his other movies, uh, are all nautical. Um, Military nautical, usually. Navy movies. Um, He's super famous for his uh, Horatio Hornblower series, which is a uh, Napoleonic era uh, series following... Um, a young ensign as he works his way up the ranks of of uh, the British Navy. And uh, there's some terrific movies, lots of, there's a TV show, all adapted from this. I don't think this is going to get adapted anytime soon, but um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it could be an episode of the Twilight Zone. Absolutely, one of those very short episodes of the Twilight Zones. Uh, it would make a delightful one of those. Um this is the exact kind of story I, I always associate this this kind of story and Ellery Queen's Mystery Magazine kind of stories as uh, what my grandfather was really into because <laughs> he had a lot of Ellery Queen and um, and when I read his books and his magazines and uh, such um, there was always stories like this in in them um, but uh, not a lot of nautical action although I, I will point out um, the title, That Old Computer. Um, the word computer is, as you know, <laughs> I know you know, uh, is an old one. It's much older than the thing that we are using to talk to each other and record this podcast with. Uh, they're mechanical um, at some point, and they're actual human beings at other points. The word changes its meaning. Um, here, I think, in this story, we're talking about uh, actual electronic computers it never says that um but i doubt they're mechanical computers and they're certainly not human computers um but that all being said um the kind of computer i most associate with this period the the 50s and uh earlier and i i just want to point out that uh that the author Forrester didn't live uh, past 1966, so he's not familiar with the kind of computers we are using, exactly. Um, his The computers he grew up with would have been ballistic computers, the kind that Robert A. Heinlein is famous for talking about as uh, an analogy for the kind of computers that we later get in his science fiction that is a device on board a ship that is designed to help gunners hit their targets using their their guns on the ship so you've got some target on on shore somewhere and you use it like an artillery uh, portable artillery platform 
and you aim over the horizon and you hit your target based on windage and the angle and the power of of the shot and uh, they could be incredibly accurate so it is a complex com- computational process but not although sometimes the devices are powered electronically the calculations are generally geared um that all being said i think this is not that kind of computer but it doesn't say this story could be set uh in the future in fact and there's no reason to think that this story is set in 1957 or 1958 um but it's probably not set in the 1940s or the 1930s well um <laughs> I'd like to return to that question sure. uh, a little later. I, I I found it perfectly fine to think of it as being set in the mid-50s. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd also point out that although uh, Forrester is thought of as British because he is best known for the Horn Hornblower novels, um, he moved to the United States during World War II. Uh, before the U.S. joined the war, mm-hmm. uh, working for the British government, trying to help the effort to persuade America to join the war. And he stayed mm-hmm. and lived out the rest of his life in America. In fact, he lived in Berkeley. Um, so at the time at which he wrote this, he was already living in America. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's interesting that the story has an LTD company rather mm-hmm. than INC company. Um, he lets us think of himself as being British, but he's American. And I, I mention this because uh, by this time, by the mid-50s, America is churning out computers pretty substantially. Mm-hmm. Um, they're being used to... Uh, for business purposes, but IBM is really already taking off. Anyway, I want to come back to to that as well. But maybe since it's so short, we should read it and mm-hmm. let other people enjoy it too. Absolutely. As we do. Good. That Old Computer by C.S. Forrester. Jennings was an electronic engineer employed by electric subsidiaries, LTD. He was explaining at dinner the work to which he had persuaded his employers to assign him. They've handed the two old computers over to me, he said. I'd sooner start afresh, but I suppose I'm lucky anyway. And what are you going to do with them? Asked Arabella, his wife, showing as much interest as she could. I'm going to use them in two stages of integration, went on Jennings. I think there might be some interesting results. How do you mean? asked Babcock. He was dining with the Jenningses, as he usually did two or three times a week. With two stages of integration, the process will be necessarily slower, said Jennings heavily, but the results may be on a far higher scale of accuracy and over a far wider range. It should be the product and not the sum of the two stages. Clear enough to you, perhaps, old man, said Babcock, but remember, I'm no mathematical genius. Tell us more about it, dear, said Arabella, with no appearance of resignation. 
It should be possible to obtain reasonably accurate answers to more general questions than usual, explained Jennings. It's a matter largely of the correct selection of the data to be fed in. With proper selectivity, there might be solutions to problems of everyday life as well as to mathematical equations. That doesn't really sound like you, dear, said Arabella. Could you pick a winner at Goodwood? asked Babcock. I thought you might ask that, replied Jennings. It's a question of the relevant data, as I said. In horse racing, the number of unknowns is kept deliberately high, and there are the unpredictables as well, the state of the weather and the condition of the track. With the unknowns outweighing the certain data, the results would be hardly more satisfactory than your guess, or mine for that matter. Jennings smiled at Babcock with wintry politeness. It doesn't seem as though you're going to do much good then, said Arabella. Perhaps not. I've been associated with failures before, said Jennings, turning the same rather wintry smile on his wife. But negative results have their value, dear. It may be worth trying. How long before you get results, old man? asked Babcock. One never knows. Months, weeks, perhaps even a few days will be enough to prove if I'm on the right track. Those two computers need a good deal of adjustment in any case. Then I can run some test propositions. And you'll be working Saturdays and Sundays, I suppose, said Arabella. You always are. If you can spare me, dear, said Jennings. It was only a matter of weeks afterward that Arabella and Babcock were sitting by the window having a drink before dinner. Here he comes, said Arabella, watching the car swing into the garage. We'll have to ask about that old computer. He was going to make it work today. Well, I'll listen, said Babcock. Jennings came in, treading heavily like a very weary man. He looked stooped and much older. Well, dear, asked Arabella brightly, did you get that old computer going? Yes, said Jennings. He looked from one to the other of them, but added nothing to that single word. Did you ask the thing any questions, asked Babcock. Yes, said Jennings. Did you get any results? Yes. Whatever's the matter, dear, asked Arabella. I only asked one question, said Jennings, and I received the answer I did not want. It was then that Arabella saw the gun in his hand. Little button story. <laughs> <laughs> just press the button and you get the answer you <laughs> I like I like this uh like I said this is the kind I associate with my grandfather. He liked these kinds of stories. I like them too. Um what I like most about it is it doesn't tell you what the question was, but you know what the question was and that's good writing, right? Yes, indeed. <laughs> Um, yes, I was trying to figure out how I knew the answer. I went back through the story a couple of times, like, how did I know what the, the answer was? And I'm like, how could you not know, <laughs> is my first response. Um, but I think, I think that that's like, uh, that's just what good writing does, is it brings you to the brink of, of what it's trying to show you. And then it says, you know the answer. And, and I'm like, yeah, I do. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's it's almost like a good teacher right yes but i i, I okay so i have a question sure. um and it, it's it's 
it's one that I think is worth our consideration. Uh, there is a difference, as, as you and I have often reflected, um, between first and subsequent readings of a text. Mm -hmm. And that's particularly uh, powerful when it comes to detective stories. Because Absolutely. nominally, the whole point of the detective story is finding out what happens at the end. And then you go, aha, now I see how it all fit together before. Um, but if the detective story has something else to it besides that revelation, the way Arthur Conan Doyle gives us extraordinary atmospherics and the very interesting relationship between Holmes and Watson, mm -hmm. they weren't rereading. Now, that difference between first and subsequent readings hinges on knowing or not knowing what the end is. I've got to say, I knew what the end was, as short as the story is, I knew what the end was before it was a quarter over. Yeah, I, I, I think I did too. And, I mean, it's a long time ago since I read it for the first time, but I think I did too, and that is kind of the... It's it's why you read Ellery Queen Mystery Magazine, right? Um, this was first published in Argosy, which is one of the magazines that published uh, Forrester's Hornblower books. Um, he, he also put them in the Saturday Evening Post, right? But the editors of Ellery Queen said, this is a story for us. They picked it out. They gave it a new title. Um, I think their title's better. Uh, that old computer versus... Um, the original was The Last Answer. Um, and I think that's because of the audience, right? The audience of the C.S. Forrester in in Argosy is not a detective fiction genre. It's it's a mainstream, like Saturday Evening Post. They're stories of 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 the popular, but not the, of a particular part of that, which is mysteries and uh, Agatha Christie readers, right? So... I, knowing it's from Ellery Queen Mystery Magazine, come in with assumptions. And those assumptions are, I'm going to get Ellery Queen Mystery Magazine-style stories. So I knew, I, I figured, even though I, I'm not, I didn't know C.S. Forrester was in Ellery Queen, I figured, because it's in Ellery Queen, it's going to be of this kind. And it has that length that makes me think, also, it's going to be of a certain class of story. And yet, you know, even though we've all talked about you, know, you and I have talked about it for a few minutes and how obvious the answer is, um, we actually haven't said what the answer is. And I'm assuming everybody who's listening to this podcast knows. But for those who don't, um, the question, would you like to guess as to the phrasing of the question, Eric? Or should I give my, I, you know, it, is my wife faithful or are is our are Arabella and Babcock having an affair? Yes, are Arabella and Babcock having an affair? I think that's exactly how we would phrase it because he needs to feed in the relevant information, right? We have this little red herring about the horse the horse races and how you have to know about the condition of the track and the weather and all sorts of unknowns, right? But here we've got a very simple equation. <laughs> Arabella and Babcock. And I note their names, A and B. <laughs> <laughs> a and B good. equal, uh, well, that's C.S. Forrester, right? It's not Actually, me. Actually, she's Arabella and mm -hmm. he's Babcock. They could be AB. ABC. Yeah, absolutely. You're yeah. absolutely right. Um, and what's also uh, good about that title change is 
<laughs> the story is called That Old Computer. But that what's funny about that is that's the phrase that Arabella and Babcock use to talk about what uh, Jennings is doing. But that's not what Jennings uses. He says he's going to take two separate old computers and integrate them, right? That is not mm-hmm. the same thing as... It's, it's worth our remembering, as you tried to get us to remember uh, previously... Um, th- these were different times. Mm-hmm. A computer uh, that is a mechanical device that is a computer in uh, 1957 um, we could fill a room. Yes. So he's, he's taking two enormous and enormously expensive um, machines and trying to make them function as if they were a single machine. That's right. And uh, what's so fun about that also is the title, That Old Computer, can refer to him. The guy who spends his days away from his wife, um, his weekends away from his wife, and who has a quote-unquote friend who comes over and visits two or three times a week, right? Including when he's not home. He knows. And if you go back like I did and reread the story, you're like, oh yeah, this is how I knew, right? He gives both of them a wintry smile, right? Mm Mm-hmm. He, um, which is a cold smile, um, he has absolute suspicions. He doesn't just pick a, a question at random. The most important question on his mind is, is my wife cheating on me with that bastard Babcock? Right. <laughs> and the answer is not one he wants we, to get. He asks exactly. the computer and it says, here is your answer. And what does he do? Right. He had his gun ready, brought it home. Right. It's got his gun in his hand. There's uh, something phallic going on here. It's the first time that he shows himself acting in that kind of role. Yep. Uh, whereas when we find Arabella and Babcock uh, sitting mm-hmm. in the window waiting to see uh, the approach of uh, Jennings, um, we see them having what could easily be, uh, instead of a preprandial cocktail, it could be a, coast, a post-coital uh, bibulation mm-hmm. um, and I, I think it's that ambiguity that uh, Jennings wants the computer to uh, se- to settle um, I, I don't know if I ever told you this uh, Jesse but I was a computer how were you I was indeed when I took uh, a year off school between my fifth and sixth semesters in college uh, which was in the in the mid 60s um, I, I went to New Orleans, and ultimately I found work uh, for Western Geophysical Company, which turned out to be um, a private company that did underground and undersea three-dimensional mapping. Mm-hmm. Um, they, in fact, uh, were crucial in um, developing the, the geological maps that led to the discovery of the North Slope uh, oil fields. Um, and I had my little part in uh, polluting the world that way. Mm-hmm. Um, so what would happen is that Western Geophysical would send out trucks, or on sea they would send out boats. And um, the trucks, for example, would uh, stop. They would plant, le- hydraulic legs would come down to lift the truck off the ground so that the suspension wouldn't be in touch with the ground. And then they would have a thumper, and that thumper would, you know, go down and create seismic waves, mm-hmm. which then be reflected back 
And whenever there was a change in the um, the rate at which sound would or waves would go through uh, underground, you could say, oh, this is a, a shift, say, from from clay to uh, to chist or something mm-hmm. like that. And the seismographs would be sent back to the main office in New Orleans. And my job was to read these seismographs and find the places where there were shifts and then calculate how many seconds had gone by or milliseconds um, by looking at the vertical lines printed on the barrel recorder. And then I would write those calculations down and those calculations would be then added as a uh, printout to the materials with the original seismographs and I would bring them and then uh, to the post office and they would be shipped to uh, the main office of the oil company that wanted that had contracted for the data in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And I did this job. I mean, I just, you know, the seismographs came in. I counted the numbers. I did the multiplications. I recorded them. My job title, I was a computer. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You, you're an essentially an ultrasound, right? You. Well, yes, it's that kind of a thing. Um, that that's what how seismographs work, and and I was the uh, I was the brains behind the turning the, the visualization recording. of what 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 those measurements. Exactly, yeah. I was the one who had to decide where there was something crucial going on, and then what where it was going on, in time. Then the people back in Tulsa were the geologists who would turn my calculations into 3D underground maps, which is what then led the, the geologists to say, dig here, mm-hmm. or drill here. So I was a computer. This was in the 60s. Uh, people already had computers. In fact, by that time, the word computer already meant the mechanical device. Mm-hmm. But if you look in the Oxford English Dictionary, it turns out the word computer first meant someone who computes. Right. And it meant that beginning in the early 17th century. 1613 Mm -hmm. is their latest reference to that. And it continues to be used that way sometimes as late as the beginning of the 21st century, according to the Oxford English Dictionary. But that's not what people think of it now. We don't think of computers as filling rooms. But Forster understood what a computer was as a person. Now, I think this title, That Old Computer, is really quite excellent, as you said. Yes. And one of the reasons it's excellent is what what Jennings has done is taken two disused computers, big ones, and he is integrating them, which is what he claims the computers themselves will do. They will integrate. Um, I have no idea at all uh, if, as a mathematician, he meant that in the technical sense of what integration is. It's not inherently calculus that's being used here. Mm-hmm. Um, but he takes two and makes them functionally one. Arabella has two men in her life. Mm-hmm. And she has them functionally one. The, the romantic boudoir part of her life, the weekends, mm-hmm. are spent with Babcock. The housekeeping and financial and public aspects of her life are spent with Jennings. Mm-hmm. She has made two functionally one. Jennings makes two functionally one. He has been dismissed by Arabella and Babcock mm-hmm. as that old computer. But what this 
story argues is there can be a lot of power in those old computers. And although you may not, Babcock, <laughs> think of him as being able to do much, take a look at what he has in his hand. Mm-hmm. So I think that this is not only a very clever story, but to answer the question that you raised before, how is it that knowing this, um, we can keep reading it anyway and like it? It's because all of these other things are actually in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, for instance, when Jennings answers the question, well, what can you do with this computer? And... Um, Babcock says, what about uh, the races? Jennings says, I thought you would ask that. <laughs> Jennings is already ahead of him. Yep. But instead of answering the races, he explains why the races don't make a good, question, a good question to ask about. Instead, he gives a completely general answer. Well, you could do the following general kind of thing. Mm-hmm. It all depends on which question you pose it. Which I think gets us to ask immediately, well, what question will he pose? Just the question that you raised, Jesse. Mm -hmm. And I think given, I mean, I don't know about you. um, We like our neighbors. We like our (laughs) children. But um, at no time in my life did I have someone outside of my family eating with me two or three times a week. (laughs) Ever. (laughs) Ever. Unless, of course, I was in college and eating in a cafeteria mm. with other, you know, college students. And that was, you know, it wasn't my house and my dinner. Uh, there's something quite odd going on here. And uh, that that prompts us. And when we read it again, it still feels odd because it's handled so delicately. I mean, there is sexual passion domestic betrayal and potential murder mm-hmm. all beneath the surface and it only becomes visible in that last sentence i want to i want to point out two uh wonderful things that back up what you're saying one is um before he explains why the horse races are not great uh for a question he says with proper selectivity there might be solutions to problems of everyday life and mm-hmm. and that is not clear what that means at that point in the story. Does that mean like uh, the traveling salesman problem, like how to get meat to the market on time? Uh, what's the most efficient delivery route? That or does he mean like problems like you have at home? <laughs> and mm-hmm. what's so interesting is Jennings clearly has massive suspicions about his wife and Babcock. Clearly. That is what's on his mind. And what does he do? He takes two old computers and integrates them into one. And then he he himself, an old computer, goes to that new computer and says, here's the problem I'm having. Let's think on this together. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and what do they do? They come up with a solution. Right? It gives them the answer. He doesn't like the answer, but he's a computer himself he knows what needs to be done and he goes home having grown older right in his look they ask ask him did you do this did you do that he answers three words three times and the answer is yes 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 
And then she says, what's the matter, dear? This word that comes up <laughs> so many times in the story, right? It's a passive-aggressive dear. Um, I only asked one question, said Jennings. The answer was yes to the, right? And I received the answer I did not want. It was then that Arabella saw the gun in his hand. He, he knew what he was doing the whole time. They kind of, they're so dismissive of his, they're cuckolding him so badly that they don't even listen to him when he says it's two computers integrated into one. They call it that old computer. They're possibly not even sure what they mean by that, the guy or the machine itself, but clearly they underestimated both. Indeed, indeed. Forrester uh, is known for these popular novels, Horatio Hornblower, uh, but he's really, uh, maybe those novels have become good not just for plot, but for the, the delicacy of his mm. writing. Mm -hmm. um, you're, you're pointing out a dramatic structure that really is quite subtle in, in a very short story. The writing itself, the, the, the word choices, not only the names, Arabella and Babcock, mm -hmm. um, but look at that very first sentence. Jennings was an electronic engineer employed by Electric Subsidiaries LTD. Well, it's easy enough for Arabella and Babcock to think of Jennings as limited. Mm. And it's easy enough to think of him as part of something that's subsidiary. And that he's but, employed, too. The very next line, he was explaining at dinner the work he, he had persuaded his employers to assign him. He says, I would be best used doing this project. And exactly. that is not him being employed. That's him, you know, being entered, uh, I don't know. He's showing initiative. That's exactly my point. Yeah. Forrester has set it up so that it looks like he is a subsidiary cog in a subsidiary enterprise. Mm -hmm. But in fact, although LTD means limited, it means limited financial liability. It doesn't mean that the company is in any sense limited. Um, and electric subsidiaries, which I imagine one could think of as modeled on General Electric, mm -hmm. um, is a conglomeration of uh, different electric companies, but subsidiary to no one. Right. It just sounds subsidiary, but think about it, and it's not. And of course, Arabella and Babcock haven't thought about this because they are off in their own um, game playing. I yep. would say passion, except we don't see them being passionate. We see them being, in effect, arrogant. Yes. And uh, frankly, I, and you know, I'm sorry, Jennings, and dismissive. It, it, indeed, a good word for this. Uh, Jennings, I don't think, should kill them. But on the nope. other hand, we are on his side as far as moral, vert, as moral weight goes here. It, it, and it's it, really, I mean, my grandfather's not a guy who went around cheating on his wife, nor considering doing it. It's, it's kind of a game, right? When you read Agatha Christie, it isn't because you love murder so much. It's because it's a kind of intellectual exercise, a game. You know what the genre is, and you can see how it works. And in reading it, you are participating in a kind of intellectual puzzle, puzzle work that I, I think this story is a perfect exemplar of. It is cold and clinical 
um, we have no uh, emotional reaction at the end when he's about to possibly kill both of them, uh, maybe even himself. We have no emotional impact other than to say, oh, well done, sir. <laughs> indeed, indeed. And that, of course, is, is one of the things that people s- criticize jokes for. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if you tell a, a joke where, and every joke has some, some target, Right, if you tell a joke and it's a uh, pick your your disfavored minority mm-hmm. um, or your you know your sexual persuasion or your physical uh, characteristic, um, you know, did you hear the one about the fill in the blank right. who did the blank? Um, what I think is behind the criticisms of jokes, uh, in part, is that it shows so little emotional connection with the target. Right. Because after all, if you could laugh at it, you know, then you don't care about whatever category it is that filled in the blank, much less the individuals who fulfill that category. But here, when we come to the end, we get that revelation. But this time we're not laughing. We're not saying, um, Ha ha, good for you, Arabella. No. Because, right, it, it, we get the satisfaction of revelation without ourselves having to make a moral commitment that will make us feel bad. It, it, it's not a moral question at all. It's only intellectual. And that's the purity of what you get when you're reading Ellery Queen Mystery Magazine. The, they have other kinds of stories, but that's the general tenor, right? Is it's it, it's It's like... Doing the crossword puzzle, but in story terms. It, it is. And yet, um, there are themed crossword puzzles mm-hmm. where when you put it together, you say, ah, and there is a larger pattern. Yes. And here, I think, um, Forrester has given us a larger pattern having to do with uh, human relations and uh, disproportions. I mean, is it really Arabella's fault that she's turned to someone else? Or is it Jennings' fault that he has allowed her to be so neglected? Uh, there, there are questions below this pattern that have to deal, have to do with real issues of marital and social relations. And the degree to which we can presume them because we have words like husband wife friend Mm -hmm. and the degree to which we have to continue to work to make sure that those words have real meaning in that sense although it's a joke or a puzzle and it's very satisfying if we take it as seriously as you and i do Mm -hmm. there's always more to say thanks very much for listening and remember You can always freely access the materials discussed on these podcasts by going to sffaudio.com and clicking on the link for Reading Short and Deep. If you enjoyed this podcast, consider becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash sffaudio.